Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are tuning in from and welcome back to my podcast on Purposeful Happiness. Thank you for joining me today. It's a beautiful, bright, sunny day outside in Memphis. Colors have just started to fade now, unfortunately. It's been a very quick fall. but it's still beautiful outside <clears throat> so this this episode i'm going to talk i'm going to take a slight deviation i'm going to talk a little bit about happiness as a word and how we perceive this word happiness do you think it's a thing like everything else that we see or observe around us is happiness a thing the definition of a thing means it has got some dimensions and it can have some influence on you or you can have some influence or control over over it and typically when it's a thing you can perceive it with one of the five senses sense of sight means you can see sense of smell sense of taste sense of sound and sense of touch like even an atom which is not seen or heard in that way is still a thing because it can be perceived directly or indirectly <clears throat> so in that context is happiness a thing what do you think I think it's not and I think the word itself the whenever we we use a word we almost imagine a parallel version of the word in our physical life like somebody says atom and you think of this small nuclear nucleus with some revolving things around it called electrons and even if you get into the nucleus you'd see these more fundamental particles to the largest thing which is uh, a whale elephant ocean spacecraft planets and i can't really say if happiness is something that's a thing So I wanted to understand what your idea of happiness is. And you feel free to shoot me an email or leave a comment or a message. And if it's not a thing, then why do we think that doing something, not doing something, acquiring something, losing something is going to get me happiness in return you can only get a thing in return if that's a thing if you do a thing you can expect a thing to be returned to you but if happiness is not a thing then is it fair for us to expect that doing something even if it's creating destroying sustaining something 
could bring happiness you can get a thing in return for a thing but you cannot get something that is not a thing in exchange for doing something which is a thing so i want to take a little bit of i want to digress from the daily regular style of episode where we talk more about action plans items and direct experiences and talk a little bit about this philosophy of thing i'm not i'm not a history student i'm not a philosophy student either but i can guarantee you <clears throat> there's not something that's written in a philosophy book that you cannot make up or you cannot make out if you think deep enough if you think hard enough and if you think with all the intellect and intelligence that you have so there's nothing new in philosophy that you already know or you could know something that you can acquire very easily it's it's uh, objective knowledge <clears throat> see the eastern philosophies have looked into this thing in in various shapes and forms and they found out that there are some things that if you try to describe them with words this not really do justice to the word to that to that entity because the moment we think words in our mind we are translating them into some picture some image of something the european nations who have been more materialistic in nature more scientific in nature more precise in the nature of work in their ability to communicate have come out with these all great things called maths and physics and and other forms of sciences where things are absolutely absolutely precise you can define you can you can measure the weight of an electron to the 12th decimal place you can measure the distance from here to the moon almost absolutely acu- accurately we are sending stuff from earth to the edges of our solar system all through mathematical calculations and sciences it's very precise where we stumbled upon is trying to define nothing how can you define nothing how can you sh- say describe something that's nothing to somebody else you cannot that's why the contribution of the eastern philosophers to science and maths have pre- precisely been this nothing zero they contributed zero they said look you can define and explain and accurately you know convey to somebody else something that can be perceived somebody that can something that can be measured something that has some sort of dimension whether it's physical dimension or it's uh, or physical dimension as in length weight height um weight mass something that's nothing cannot be described 
So here, my R contribution to science is zero. Literally, the numeral zero. That's why division by zero is a tough one. Nobody knows. How can you divide something which has a physical existence into something, into many parts that has no physical existence? It cannot be infinite because infinite number of nothings cannot make something. It's just called indeterminate. You cannot determine it. And this is one principle that was analyzed and looked into various ways, various perspectives by the Buddhists, which is a denomination of, of Hinduism. And they said, look, all that we see around us, basic manifestations of something that we don't know what is. So, there is nothing. What you see around us are basic imaginations. So don't chase after something. Try to find out what's nothing. And from, from a Western viewpoint, that might appear to be very harsh, stupid, um, very dogmatic. Because we are all about something. Without something, we feel meaningless. Without something, we feel we are not. And that's exactly what the Buddhists are saying. You are not. So don't pretend that you are. Give up the idea that you are. Just be. It's okay to be confused. Because nobody knows. They have the, they have the guts to say that nobody knows. And hence, Buddhists don't look for happiness. They don't look for unhappiness either. They don't look for something. And they don't, don't look for something either. They're saying just be. Westerners have got a problem with this. Because what I have defines my identity. What I have puts me in a certain strata in the society. What I have almost builds the perception of me in other people. So if you say I am nothing, oh my God, how will I ever accept that? Now the other side of it is everything. What is everything? We don't know what infinity is because if you tell me a number, I can always add something to that number and make it slightly larger. If you give me a certain number of things, I can always add one more to it and make it slightly more. So we don't have a concept of infinity either. We just say it's very large, we don't know. So dividing something into infinite parts is practically impossible. Because if it's a thing, and if you're dividing that thing, you will end up with a thing. You just don't know how small it is. 
Just like dividing by zero does not give you infinity, dividing by infinity does not give you zero either. And we don't know what infinity is. That's why it's very hard for us to imagine these science channels saying edge of the universe. History Channel putting out a beautiful documentary. I love those documentaries which talks about these solar systems and all that. And they say edge of the universe. There is no edge. How difficult it is for us to imagine something that does not have boundaries. And it is our nature of our consciousness to challenge boundaries. So you see the conflict? On one side, as humans, our consciousness puts us, puts those guts in us to say, I'm going to challenge the boundary. I'm going to break the boundary. On the other hand, we have no idea of what the boundary is. So where does this whole concept of boundary come from? Is it something that I happen to know from myself, from within myself? Or is it something that I was told by other people that there is a boundary? If I had no idea of anything, then the idea of edge of the universe, I would have acquired that idea by looking into the History Channel documentaries. If I had not seen those documentaries, I would have not known that there is something called an edge. I would not have known how it is, how it could be that something doesn't have an edge. And that's the thing. We are trying to explain a thing which is supposed to have boundaries as something that does not have boundaries. So, words have to be treated very carefully. Happiness is one of those words that we know we are looking for, we want to be, and yet we are trying to find it as a thing. We are trying to find, meaning we are using our senses to find a thing something that has shape, size, weight, something, something, something. The Hindus, on the other hand, said, you know what? It's everything. Everything that you see is you. That's why Hindus often tend to worship everything as divine. Western communities have made fun of that without understanding. Western authors have written about that, Western speakers. And there's one speaker, generally, gen uh, gently speaking. He is a, a professor. He used to be a professor. He's, he's passed away um, almost 35, 40 years back. Uh, very profound professor, very knowledgeable, very reputed. And uh, like what used to happen in the past, you want to learn, you want to be happy, Go to Asia. Go to one of those mountain tops in China or Japan. Get in touch with one of those Buddhist monks. Be there for a couple of years and suddenly you know it. You don't. The whole reason you are going to, to, to that camp in, 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 in some Buddhist community is to find something which you have no idea about. So your whole process of trying to find is inaccurate. So you will end up finding something which is not what you wanted to find in the first place. So this gentleman, and I, I have all my reverence towards him, he, <clears throat> he's, a, he's a scholar. He can read books, he can understand books, and he made his own interpretations. And this is where things go wrong. To a Western audience, in 1980 lecture, in one of the 1970s lecture, I think, 
he was explaining how language um how similarities of languages between um hindu texts and buddhist texts and he came out with this word dhamma d h a m m a dhamma you know buddhists buddhists uh, have this chant uh, buddham sharanam gachami dhammam sharanam gachami sangham sharanam gachami that means you know take refuge in uh, the buddha which is enlightenment and for you to do that um follow the practices dhammam which is your your duties and then in the path in the process of that that a journey you would need company of people like minded people that's where the sangha comes in sangha is basically um uh, a club <laughs> for lack of a better word um and he equated that to dharma which is a hindu word d h a r m a which has got a different meaning and he said oh when hindu texts were interpreted by buddhists they would get rid of the r and hence dharma became dhamma and if he if he had stopped there things would have been still okay not right but still okay but then he went a step further he said similarly the word karma in hinduism k a r m a which basically means actions is almost pronounced as kama in buddhism k a m a that's when i had to put a pause because kama in hinduism means desire kama if you ask any buddhist monk would also say desire so karma and kama and not similar but because of his influence because of the fact that he had scholarly positions but because of the fact that he had degrees and and he had his books in some curricular academic academic world his words carried some importance the reason i bring it up is i didn't i didn't know about this uh, this this uh, um discussion till a friend of mine said um you know karma and karma are the same and i i stopped him and said no hold on may not be the same in the way that you are thinking and then he explained oh no i saw it in this video this name the moment you said that name it struck me because by and large this gentleman has been this professor has been very authentic but he has been authentic from an academic perspective now you have to understand the eastern philosophy they are not academically oriented they are not precise in those meanings that precision comes from the explanation of those texts by a guru to his disciple so if you have the wrong guru you're going to screw up and if you have no guru god help you and because i can read five texts and understand five texts on one one five five lines or five paragraphs in one one text doesn't mean that the same words would mean some same thing in another text in another context it's contextual and that contextual is not written or documented in those texts that comes from tradition that's the guru shishya tradition 
and you know eastern philosophies have got six different philosophies one of them is vedanta another is yoga another is sankhya another is mimamsa all that <clears throat> same words are used because there's only so many words in sanskrit same words are used but the context is different so our idea about this word happiness the idea that we have built within us could have come from things that we have heard things that we have read things that we have acquired things that we have projected through our own intellect of based on certain knowledge but that may not be absolutely accurate the reason i i took this diversion today deviation today from the usual stuff is now that we have been talking about happiness now that we are we understand that there is there is a happy place it may not be the happy place we think it is but we have everything and we are never going to lose anything but there could be a mental state in which that perception of thing doesn't exist and you're not neither happy nor unhappy you're balanced you're neither up nor down so i'll i'll close this episode with a request look into your own understanding of this word happiness construct your own idea about what this happiness is now remember any concept is could be just one perspective of a larger truth bear that in mind it could be wrong it could be right doesn't matter but it's just one perspective because if something is infinite in nature then it's hard to believe that there is only one perspective and after all maths gave us those two numbers remember zero and infinity maths is basically saying look by and large i can tell you but these two things nothing and everything i have no idea your your guess is as good as mine with that let's be open let's be open to the fact that we may not know exactly what this happiness is we may not know exactly how this happiness is why this happiness is and when when somebody says when a monk specifically says he is happy what does he actually mean what is he experiencing now there are since eastern philosophy is more experiential in nature they did not care whether you like it or not they say hey look i did these things and i am experiencing this you do it if you have significant amount of purity you will get the same experience but they didn't did not have the propensity the the compulsion within themselves to prove it to somebody that's what makes this thing so interesting it's experiential in nature and one of the <clears throat> one of the guidelines for such an experience is no dogmatism you have to let go you have to let go of your understanding in many cases you have to acquire new understanding of many cases and then and then subsequently let that go too well that was a loaded discussion so i'll leave you with that thought uh let's see if we can get some understanding personal understanding personal perspective um i'll try to answer any questions this is such a topic that 
there, there could be no easy question or no easy answer. And we may have to find that out together. We, ha- we may have to work that out together. There's still things that I'm learning. And uh, like I said, I've been very careful about um, authors and books and all that. Um, they give a perspective. We are, we are absolutely okay to read it. But I think what will help us in this journey is not to assume that that is the perspective, that is the only perspective. Could be a, one of the many. Let's treat it as that. Thank you again. Signing off. It's a beautiful day here, like I said, in Memphis. Bright, sunny. I hope you have a great week ahead of you and we'll come back again next week.